Happy Wednesday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm the other host. My name's Chris Henry. I'm with the EAA Aviation Museum in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And it's getting super exciting now. This is one of my favorite scenes uh where Gunter is uh, shaking hands with Jim Lovell. Jim, Jim's looking at the last man he's going to see on Earth for uh, about two weeks. Well, absolutely, and I think that there's, and I know that you know it's obvious they did this on purpose. But there's a lot being said in that shaking of hands that's not being said. Yeah. Um, the amount of trust that they had in Gunther and that whole team uh, that worked, you know, to to close out the area, um, you know, was next to nothing i mean they they trusted them with their lives and yeah. you could tell it and it's one of the things i'm really proud of uh, the fact that they did tell that, that in small ways of that that ground crew was very much you know they knew what was going on they knew they were they were they were entrusted with their lives and even little things just like spitting the fred hayes spitting the gum into the you know the one guy's hand and things like yeah. that that these guys were totally dedicated to their jobs yeah, and it was nothing, you know, it, it was nothing uh, maudlin or uh, melodramatic about it. I mean, this is real life. This is, the, uh, all these guys, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, I, I owe my life to you. They did. They really did owe their lives to the ground crew and the, the people that made sure that, you know, the oxygen was flowing and all the valves were secured and all the switches were thrown the right way. This is, you know, it, it, it very much a life or death situation. And uh, like you said, that, that trust that uh, that Lovell is showing uh, 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 Gunter Wendt here, is, it's real. It's, it's very, a very real moment. I um, love that they called Gunther the, uh, the pad fuhrer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they, they had a lot of fun with him making a Colonel Clink helmet and things like that. And, but it was all in good fun. I mean, he, uh, and that all sparked from the fact that he was very serious about his job and that he, you know, he owned the pad. He owned the white room, you know, and. And uh, he never he never lost sight of that. He worked very hard to, with those guys to keep uh, keep everybody safe. Yeah, yeah, it's just a a brilliant uh, a brilliant fellow who, uh, you know, he he's the epitome of engineering. He's the guy that you know, if anybody, you wanted somebody that is meticulous and still as personable as uh, you know as as Went was. He uh, he knew he knew the hardware, but he also knew the people involved with the hardware. So. Yeah, and he wasn't. He, the thing about the thing about Went was he wasn't part of. I mean, we usually think of German scientists. We think of uh, von Braun and his, uh, you know, and his rocket group. But Went wasn't part of that. Went was just. He was a guy that worked for the Luftwaffe, and then after the war, he was out of work, and he moved to America to be part of. You know, this is where the jobs were, and he came here because he had a promise of a. Uh, you know, a, of a career and work, and he gravitated toward the future. He was he was the kind of guy that uh, he he liked being a part of, you know, exploration and being being at the at the cutting edge of stuff. But he still his interactions with people, especially with you know folks like Wally Shira, he was the right person. Right, you know, the the, the guy that you wanted closing the door was a guy like Gunther Went. So absolutely, yeah, I agree. Yeah. We go from the Cape and we jump over to uh, Gene Kranz trying on his brand new uh, uh, 
uh, his brand new vest <laughs> that uh, that our guest from yesterday handed to him in a box. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know if we got to, to talk about it much, but I asked Gene about that, about how that was depicted in film. And it was absolutely true. Gene, his wife, Marta, wasn't sure that she would be done in time uh, making this vest and actually sent it in with a buddy of his uh, who was going in uh, to work. And she said, here, take this to Gene. They actually depicted that right. He did not show up to work that day with the vest. Uh, and uh, so he go- he gets in there with... Uh... You know, with the with the group, he's get he's getting all together. There's our first our first view of uh, of Mark McClure, uh, and Mark McClure, McClure will no matter what no matter what else he plays, he will always be uh, Jimmy Olsen from the original uh, the '78 Superman to me, or uh, <laughs> or Marty McFly's brother from uh, <laughs> from Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, it's funny where we were looking at everybody yesterday or uh, Monday was uh, wearing gold. Everybody here seems to be wearing some version of green. It was all hunter green. <laughs> Yeah, and that was a that was a seventy thing. So all the finest in polyester. We jump back briefly to uh, to see Gunther locking that block two door that played such a such a big role in this movie. I mean, they they brought it up as the key between what was different on Apollo one and the the, the block two Apollos. Uh, very obvious that uh, the the door has been uh, re reworked and uh, has ways of getting out. They have that gigantic that big handle that you just had to turn to open the, to open it and you get, get that door opened in, you know, less than 15 seconds, you could pop, pop that door wide open. It's amazing to me. I I know that that's a set piece, but how complex and detailed they really went with the set, you know, piece that you're looking at that and you'd swear that was a real one. Maybe it is. I don't know, but it could, uh, it could be. I mean, I know they were using, they're using backup parts and, and borrowing from all over the place. You gotta remember at the time, Apollo, like, we know now Apollo 13, the, the movie is huge, and everybody thinks Apollo 13, Apollo 13, that's like the number one besides landing on the moon. Maybe not even landing on the moon. Maybe Apollo 13 was the most famous Apollo mission because of this film. But at the time in 1995, Apollo was kind of really far in the past. There, wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of people chatting about the Apollo age. It was all shuttle. It was all, you know, this, is, this was kind of a forgotten past. And if anything, Apollo 13 helped bring back the, the memory of that age that you know had disappeared in the in the course of 15 years yeah, yeah. and there's two tom hanks movies that have done that for things um one of course apollo 13 and the other one was saving private ryan for world war ii veterans mm-hmm. um a lot of people don't realize I, I don't mean to get off on a tangent for a minute but that there was not a national memorial dedicated to world war ii veterans and it really was getting it wasn't getting much attention until saving private ryan came out uh tom really led one of the charges of guys we have to do this for these men yeah. and women and it finally you did that but yeah two of those two movies really sort of rejuvenated interest in two iconic pieces of american history yeah absolutely it's uh you know and it's it's just so many beautiful simple scenes like this where uh you know you realize the the risks that were taken to 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 do something amazing, and you know, like like in World War II, just the stuff that people came up with, the the knowledge. We way way back in like minute four or five, we see uh, Jim and Marilyn Lovell uh, laying back in their lounge chairs and uh, and saying that uh, you know we just thought up going to the moon, we just thought up, decided to do it, and we did it. And and it's the same thing with World War II. I mean, with 
joining, you know, when America finally joined after, after Pearl Harbor, we went at it full tilt. I mean, the whole country changed to, to win that war across, you know, two hemispheres. And uh, it's amazing how fast it kind of fades in memory. Um, but, you know, it's, it's great having movies like this so that you can, you can see a small part of it and then extrapolate how much the world changes in, in incidents like this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. Uh, I, I always said there's a lot of similarities between World War II and the Apollo program as far as the home front or civilians, um, you know, involved. I mean, it was something that World War II, everybody fought World War II in the United States. I mean, that was, you know, whether you were a, a kid taking your thing, you know, your toys down to be recycled for the war drive uh, or anything. And the Apollo program, you know, the, the the very turbulent 60s, uh, it was something that, that a lot of us were at least able to, or a lot of people were able to, to rally behind. And it was something, to, it was it was providing some good news in a time that we didn't really have a lot of good news all the time. Well, uh, one of the things we're going to come back to about a different, that, that that one of the big underliners that this is a different time is uh, when we cut back out of the command module, we see uh, Gene Kranz blowing, blowing smoke as he, as he uh, sucks down a, a camel cigarette and then goes for his coffee, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the idea of the idea of being in an office nowadays and lighting up is just such a <laughs> such an alien concept. It would be like you know saying I'm you know it's like it's like pulling out a bottle of whiskey and just mixing yourself a drink on, at your desk. It just doesn't doesn't flow. Um, but I, you know, I I was part of the last generation to work in smoke filled offices. And I can remember being in the 80s, being in conference rooms, and I worked with a bunch of, you know, I was in aerospace, and I worked with a bunch of Army guys and Air Force guys and Navy guys, and and they lived on, you know, one or two packs a day, and half of them would light up in a room, and then they'd put out their cigarettes, and the other half would light up the room, and you had this just constant blue haze about, you know, three feet off the <laughs> ceiling, uh, and everything was kind of had that, that yellow grease on it from uh, just from exhaling. <laughs> And the idea of having to keep, like, you're looking, he's standing, in front, he's sitting in front of all this complicated electronic equipment, and they had to build air handlers to make sure that the, the smoke wouldn't get in and damage the electronics, just so these guys could light up every minute. Wow. I, you know, it's interesting, uh, during the restoration of Mission Control, which is undergoing right now, they're really working to put all the components back like it, you know, like it was in the, during the, uh, you know, the Apollo program. And, uh, but Gene was telling me that the, um, there's areas, you know, in the seats and the, in your, the, in the areas that have ashtrays in them and kids, uh, that are younger thinks that those were all, those were cell phone holders <laughs> and, and they literally, they, you know, not realizing that such a different vast, uh, you know, change in times, but you know, they're like, wow, you guys had stuff to hold your phones, you know? And they're like, yeah, no, that was a, that was our ashtrays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you push the button. I mean, that particular, it, this is, this is bringing back so many far, far ago memories. The, that plaid tartan cigarette, um, ashtray that he's, that he has in front of him next as he's picking up the coffee mug. Those were portable ashtrays. They, the bottom of them um, had sand so that they wouldn't tip over. And what you could do is you could carry them around. When your cigarettes finally went cold, you could dump it out in a, in a wastebasket. But you wouldn't have to worry. Like you could go outside with those things, and it, your cigarette wouldn't blow out um, <laughs> because it would be below the wind line. And they would sit on uneven surfaces like you could put it on a, on a chair, on the corner of a chair, and it wouldn't roll off. 
that's wild. A lot of uh, a lot of good cigarette technology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now know, I, I can't speak to cigarettes. I'm not a smoker. Never was, but I can tell you that when I started into the aviation world, that uh, coffee certainly becomes a staple. Uh, yeah, aviation runs on hundred low lead fuel and coffee. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And you know, it, it's funny when you see. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest. I mean, besides society that has changed with smoking. But when you watch movies of this era, um, I've I've done uh, the airport minute with uh, the 1970 movie Airport, and when you watch it, the sheer amount of tobacco being lit up <laughs> everywhere, like everybody smoking everywhere, and I mean, it, it with the you know pretty much about the same level as if you see a cup of coffee nowadays, you would have seen a cigarette next to that cup of coffee. So. Oh yeah, yeah, and stale peanuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here, here, here comes. I, I think this is your your favorite part and my favorite part. I just love. The, uh, the the call outs as, as he just goes down the list of everybody on his board as to, you know, the go, no go, which is that may be the epitome of uh, when we when you think of a launch, you think of the go, no go call outs. Well, what um, was really interesting was um, it, it, it may be available on YouTube, so I, so I don't know for sure. But when you hear the real one, I mean, because this is copied from from the real deal. They've actually slowed it down just a little bit to make it a little bit more coherent for normal people. Yeah. Um, the real one is even quicker than this, and it's it's the real deal. I mean, it's the same callouts, yeah. but it's it's boom, 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 boom. I mean, and the whole thing takes place in like three seconds. Yeah, it, it's it, it's like it's like an auctioneer's having a having a conference. Yeah. It, it just rolls. But uh, let's let's go down. What he's he's going to be yelling these things out. So he he goes through the whole thing. Um, I'm almost tempted. Actually, I think I probably will. Right at this point, I'm going to play the call out for this uh, of the uh, uh, from the movie, so you, you get to hear this. So uh, let's play that now. Apollo 13 flight controllers, listen up. Give me a go, no go for launch. Booster, go. Retro, go. Vital, we're go fly. Guidance, guidance, go. Surgeon. Go flight. Econ. We're go flight. GNC. We're go. Tell me you. Go. Control. Go flight. Procedures. Go. Inco. Go. FAO. We are go. Okay, so let's go over what those what those different uh, things were. Well, the first thing he said was booster, and booster, of course, is the rocket. It's uh, it's the Saturn V. Everything, everything, everything below the uh, well, everything that has an engine on it, yeah. except except for the lunar module. They don't do the lunar module. The uh, the booster systems engineer that he's talking to um, handles uh, any kind of propulsion related aspects. They uh, and all those guys, they're down in the I think they're in the first row in the left hand corner. They handle everything until uh, TLI, translunar injection, and then their consoles were empty for the rest of the flight. And uh, they're the ones that uh, could send. The big thing about Booster was they could send the abort command. They could Lovell had his hand on the abort handle, but if Lovell didn't know about something, these guys could override it, and all of a sudden, Lovell, uh, the whole the whole Apollo team could find themselves in the middle of an abort mode that was uh, launched from Houston. So that, that that Booster guy gets kind of first billing on there because. He's he's going to be the first one to end the mission. Next one up there was uh, was Retro, which the Retro handled the abort plan. So after after the booster guys, you know, cancel the mission with a button, uh, Retro uh, Retro would be in charge of bringing them back home. So they were everything that would bring them back to Earth safely. They'd also handle the uh, uh, the trans Earth injection maneuvers, where the uh, 
uh, service module fired its engine and returned from the Earth to the moon. So that's everything from after they got off, after they got out of the LEM and started going back home, that was where Retro's job came in. And this is all in the front row, which they called the trench. Right, this is, yeah. This is the, what do they say, the deepest and the darkest or something yeah. <laughs> like that. You're, you're up in the, yeah, forward of the, or forward of the room, I guess, here. Yeah. So. And the, the guys that are going to be helping Retro, uh, right next to them is, is a group called FIDO, the Flight Dynamics Officers. They're responsible for the, uh, the, the, the direction that the, the, the vehicle's taking. So uh, both when they're, when they're launching and when they're you know, out in deep space, they have to figure out if they're aimed at the moon right, if they're coming back from the moon right, if, they're, you know, if their orbit's too high, if their orbit's too low. During, the, uh, during those lunar missions, they were responsible for getting, you know, making sure that they're aimed at the, the right spot in front of the moon and behind the moon. So there's a lot of, a lot of computer time that's being taken up by the flight dynamics officer figuring out where... And they're also responsible for that big board. When you see the, the board up on the screen saying where they're going to be, that's, that's what the flight dynamics officer was in charge of, keeping that big board lit. And FIDO was in it, I mean, all the way to Splashdown. I mean, they, those guys were, uh, I mean, all the way through having them in the correct, correct attitude and everything, even all the way through reentry. So yeah, um, they were in that fight all the way to the end. Yeah, they were those guys that um, basically if uh, – yeah, you know, for general aviation types, if you were if you picture filing filing your your, your flight, uh, they're the ones that would be doing all the all the little ma- the math bits with the uh, the the, the uh, circular slide rules and stuff. They they figure out where the where the energy was going in the flight and how you know whether you're whether you're coming in too high, too low, that kind of stuff. So a lot of math if you want to work on the on Fido. Next one up is uh, Guidance or Guido. They followed. They checked all the uh, the navigational systems to make sure that the that the computer on the uh, command module and also on the lunar module was agreeing with what the numbers were that they were getting back in Houston. They kind of acted as a check to make sure that everybody knew where the spacecraft was in space. And that was on the Apollo 11 mission when you were getting those errors on the computer. Wasn't that Guido that had to figure out if it was a, a go, no go on the alarm? Yeah, because the, they, they ran the, uh, the AGs and PINGs uh, computers. They, they knew, you know, the, the G in AGs and the G in PINGs <laughs> stood for guidance. So they were, yeah, they were responsible for making sure that all the computers matched, matched up. And when they didn't, if they were getting an alarm or an error, that was, you know, that was where, where it was for, uh, for Guido. Then he calls out surgeon, which is uh, the flight surgeon. So the flight surgeon's following. We talked about this, uh, this earlier about how the, the different telemetry that they were getting off their biomedical feeds, the surgeon would be monitoring that, making sure their heart rates were okay, that uh, you know, they weren't running a fever. They, weren't, you know, they all were healthy enough to be continuing with the flight. And they, they also che- I mean, the flight surgeon also checked on things. You know, he'd, he'd follow along with, were they getting enough sleep? Were they, uh, you know, did they notice any changes when they were getting on board? Dio, Dio Hara, who was uh, their nurse, and hopefully we'll be having her on in a, in a couple of episodes, uh, they checked their baseline uh, information uh, to make sure that they were, you know, they were being healthy. One thing I was looking the other day, I was looking at the, uh, the Internet's a marvelous place, by the way. You can find so much information about everything. They had a, a, a manifest for Apollo 13, what, what went on, the, on board. And uh, they were given like 30 uh, aspirins and 30 antibiotics. Um, they were given a lot of Afrin because of Wally Shiraz. Head cold. One of the bigger things that they were given was uh, 60 semethicones, which is uh, basically uh, Tums or Rolades. 
because one of the biggest problems in space is that uh, when you're digesting, uh, you don't, uh, apart from peristalsis, you don't really have anything to hold your stomach, the stuff inside your stomach down so that your body can uh, digest properly. So you wind up in space, you wind up with an, a really a lot of gas and it's very painful. There's a lot of bloating going on and stuff. So they really, as the, as the later Apollo flights uh, went on, one of the most commonly prescribed medications by the, uh, by the flight surgeon was, Hey, take a, take a Rolaids. <laughs> so uh, a lot of, a lot of Maalox in space. We'll be talking more with the flight surgeon later as the, as the flight progresses. Um, next up is uh, uh, ECOM, which is Emergency Environmental and Consumables Management. So they had to follow those – are, those are the guys that are going to be following the, uh, the oxygen and carbon dioxide levels, which uh, we'll be talking about <laughs> later on in this, in this flight. They also know – they also measure how much, uh, how much oxygen uh, – how, how much air is left in their tanks, uh, whether the water is being used. Remember that water is not only for the humans on board – but uh, a lot of it is being used to cool the computers and the other equipment that's on board the spacecraft. They used it since we don't have, there's no, um, there's no breezes in space. There's no uh, uh, convection or there's very little convection. So the only way you can really cool stuff out in, out in space is through evaporation. So they use, they use a lot of water just to boil. They, they boil a lot of water to get rid of the energy uh, that was being produced by all, you know, all these, uh, all these circuit boards running. That was EE, uh, that was Ecom's job. And, uh, you know, they, they continue to this day I and mean, they're still on the, on the space station. They still, they still have Ecom, uh, tracking consumables and stuff. Next up is uh, GNC, which is a guidance navigation and control systems. They work with, of course, they work with Guido and, uh, they do, uh, they, they make sure that all the equipment is talking, uh, to each other. You know, computers are talking to the star finders, all that kind of work where any kind of control systems that are ta- that's taking navigational data and converting it into things like how long a burn is supposed to go. That's, uh, that's GNC's job. They're kind of like the IT department for Guido. Next up, very important part is uh, Telmu, which uh, that mostly comes in with the lunar missions. Tel- Telmu is there specifically to make sure that the lunar module uh, is doing all of its... Uh, you know, its electrical systems are working, its navigation systems are working. Can't, it's kind of, basically, it's a, or it's ECOM for the lunar module. Uh, next up, the uh, control officer, which he yells out control, that's the uh, lunar module's uh, GNC. So the uh, Telmu is is the lunar module's ECOM, and the control officer is the lunar module's GNC. After that is procedures, which is basically the guy with the checklist, the, the fellow in charge of all the checklists to make sure that they know you know, if you have two engines out, you can still fly. If you have three engines out, we have to abort. That All those kind of mission rules and stuff. So mission rules play a big part when you start having failures and double failures and especially triple failures. So procedures is going to have uh, some issues later on in, the, in this mission. And then uh, we have INCO, Instrumentation and Communications. They're responsible. All the, all the data that's coming in for the flight surgeon, uh, the voice data from CAPCOM, all the telemetry data that, that GNC is looking at, that all gets routed through INCO, the, uh, the, the instrumentation data and the uh, radio traffic that's happening uh, you know, in Houston. That, that goes through INCO. Uh, then we're getting into uh, flight activities officer. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we did procedures and then uh, INCO. And then uh, the flight activities officer, FAL, you know, procedures does the checklist. Uh, flight activities officer is the one that is kind of 
I want to say the script supervisor. The flight, flight activities officer says, okay, we're going to wake them up at 7 a.m. and uh, they're going to eat lunch, eat breakfast through 7.20 a.m. So they're kind of like the, they're the to-do list. They, they, they follow the to-do list for, uh, uh, for mission control. And then uh, finishing up, uh, in this minute at least, with network, which is, at the time, we had to have a bunch of ground stations scattered around the world, everywhere from uh, Bermuda to uh, Canberra, different uh, ships like the Quebec out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and then, uh, of course, the big tracking stations in Goldstone, California, uh, Honeysuckle Creek, uh, Australia, and uh, Madrid, Spain, the deep space network that had to talk to Apollo when it was, uh, you know, both on the moon and orbiting the moon. Uh, all of that was part of the giant network that had to be in place. Nowadays, we don't rely so much on ground stations because of the uh, uh, the tracking and data relay satellites, the TDRA satellites that are that have been up there since oh the uh, the mid '80s for the space shuttle program. One of the biggest uh, jobs of the space shuttle program was getting this uh, constellation of TDRA satellites in orbit, so that we don't need to have uh, ground monitoring. One of the other one of the other side effects of having TDRS is that we can now talk to uh, astronauts returning on reentry during reentry because the uh, ionization level is a below, not above. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's the list for. Uh, <laughs> we missed we, we miss Capcom. Oh, Capcom's coming up tomorrow. But no, in the uh, in the checklist. I oh we did I I didn't realize Capcom was in this minute. I missed. Oh, that. maybe so, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I think it's tomorrow. I oh, think it's, okay. I think I it's was, coming up tomorrow. We're ju- we'll, we'll, we'll be tomorrow. We'll be yeah yeah don't, yeah, don't cut, spoil it. Cut this whole section out. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, that, that's where that's where so far we're we're you know mostly mostly through with the checklist, but we'll we'll pick it up again uh, tomorrow. But uh, for those of us who have not listened to the show, well, I've listened to the show, but and I, oh, Chris, <laughs> I, I think so. you you listen to the show, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But for 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 those of you who haven't listened to all of the show, please go to our our big site uh, Apollo thirteen minute Apollo one three minute dot com, and you can listen to every one of our uh, previous thirty two minutes, and they're they're all pretty exciting. I think they were pretty good. So yeah, you can you can visit us on Apollo thirteen minute uh, and pick up any previous episodes. Uh, if you would like to not have to go through manually and listen to each one of these minutes, we can get them delivered to you hot and fresh every day, Monday through Friday, by going to uh, either iTunes or Google Play or wherever you download your fine uh, podcasts. Type on the search bar Apollo 13 Minute and then click subscribe, and you'll have these delivered hot and fresh every morning, Monday through Friday. If you'd like to reach out to us and talk back to us, we are always available online on the Twitter at Apollo 13 Minute, or on the Facebook at uh, Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control, just like this minute's all about. Uh, and we are we always love uh, chatting with people listening to the show, and uh, sometimes we come up with some folks who have uh, a personal uh, history with these things. So we love to hear from you on either Facebook or, or Twitter. Please reach out to us there. Uh, we will be back tomorrow as we uh, get through this uh, checklist that normally doesn't take Gene Kranz as long to get through. <laughs> So uh, anyway, we are coming up on uh, loss of signal in about 30 seconds. So we will see you here tomorrow on the Apollo 13 Minute.